Morning, everybody. This is Patrick Donahue. Welcome to Infinite Banking Radio. Today is January 27th, 2010. This is the second second podcast of the new year. Uh, thank you for all the downloads last week. Uh, as I said, we, we surpassed our 20,000 download mark, and uh, we had quite a few downloads last week. So thank you for our new listeners. We actually had a lot of them call in. Uh, really appreciate that. But uh, for those of you who are listening for the first time, we have lots of different podcasts over the last uh, few years. And so the same link that you use to uh, listen to this podcast, you can use the same one to download our previous podcasts. Also, for more information on our company, you can uh, visit www.paradigmlife.net. That's P-A-R-A-D-I-G-M-L-I-F-E dot net. Uh, we actually have a webinar this Thursday evening that discusses the infinite banking concept. Uh, it's a free event. For more information on that, please email uh, or call us. Our email address is info at paradigmlife.net. And, uh, and our email address is, that was our email address. Our phone number is 800-870-8670, 800-870-8670. We also have a, a free live event coming this March uh, it's actually the second Friday, March, March 12th. It's an all-day event, absolutely free. Uh, we will have Nelson Nash, who is the founder of the Infinite Banking Concept, and he'll, he'll be coming into town. We only have uh, space for about 20 more people, and uh, so if you would like to register for that event, please uh, give us a ring, 800-870-8670, or email us at info at paradigmlife.net. So I actually have a, a really special guest, a friend and, uh, and business partner of mine, Ryan Clark. He's in the office. Ryan, what's going on, man? Hey, I'm happy to be here. Awesome. R- rough drive up from uh, from Utah County? No, it was nice and smooth. Good, 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 good. Well, we're going we're gonna to give some, some time to Ryan to explain who he is, how we came in contact, uh, what we're up to, and um, you know how he came across the infinite banking concept. So, so Ryan, what's, uh, what's your story? Well, my story, Pat, is uh, you know when I was uh, 18, I... I thought I was pretty special and got into real estate. All 18-year-olds. All 18-year-olds are like that. <laughs> yeah, well, I bought my first property there at 18. Um, I've, I've always had this passion for, for money and for investing, and so I started off doing that with, with some real estate. Served an LDS mission, came back, got back into that, uh, into that realm, but my passion just drove me to money, to investing, to financial planning, um, I spent a year in the regular or traditional financial planning world until I realized that most of what's taught over there is um, a bunch of lies, <laughs> to say it bluntly. That's a blunt way to put it. Yeah, pretty much. <laughs> well, you know, you have, they have a lot of truth, but it's spun with a lot of what makes the companies a lot of money and not what is best for the people. Yep. And when I <coughs> – forgive me, my, I'm getting over a cold here – but um, when, I, when I came across Nelson Nash's book – and started studying the infinite banking concept, it, it directly attacked everything that I was learning over there. And I spent about six months researching that as well as other things, uh, other books that he recommends, and, uh, and, and just analyzing the philosophies uh, and concepts of the industry as it currently exists. And through that, eventually, uh, you and I hooked up, and we've been doing business now for, gosh, almost a year, right? Yeah, yeah. yeah we're coming upon a year. Yeah, that's awesome. It's been a fun Fun trip. Yeah, I mean, it's <laughs> it's funny that you know, and I was talking with a client about this the other day. It's it's funny that you know the the infinite bank concept has been around for a long time. Yeah, thirty right? years or so. Yeah, and it's and it's amazing that it really hasn't caught on. But think about it. It's like right right when it becomes really popular. Right now, a lot of people are talking banking yeah. and infinite banking and becoming your own banker. It's amazing. I've done some internet searches and just tons of tons of people out there that are doing it now. People um, are, are really catching the message and they're and they're realizing the the truthfulness and the well and, and that the 
the regular ideas of the industry don't work. I mean, look at the 401k disasters. Yeah. Oh, and, that, and that's the reason why it's become so popular is because of what happened in 2008, yeah. right? If everything just kept going the way it was, it probably wouldn't be as popular. And that's the same thing, you know, in, in, the, in the 90s, banking wasn't that popular at all. But that's really when, you know, Nelson Nash, you know, became somewhat known because in the 90s, I mean, pretty much every single year of the 90s, there was positive gains in the market. Yeah. So a person really didn't have a, a reason why to change their, their current philosophy. But then dot-com bubble burst Exploded. and killed people yeah. in the early 2000s you know banking became a little bit more popular and it's kind of you know gone in gone in cycles yeah. right and i think what's you know helped perpetuate the growth has been pamela yellen's book you know bank bank on yourself and that came out uh early last year and great book great book pamela yellen's great great author um she touched on some things that nelson nash really didn't in his book and i definitely would recommend that for for individuals you can actually buy it through our office for uh for 15 dollars but um, uh, but yeah. So that's you know it, nowadays I think people are uh, are starting to real really see the cycles of the past. And even if the market rebounds, right in the back of their mind, they know that there's going to be a future bust. And I think that you know just looking at the coming storm of baby boomers and Medicare and Social Security and government spending, you know people are getting really concerned. People want the stability and yeah. the the infinite banking concept allows and provides that stability. It's a philosophy that that yes, it utilizes a life insurance product, but it's based on, on principles mm. that are not just 30 years old. They're you know, thousands of years old. Yeah. They're, they're incredibly powerful. And I think, you know, I, I think that's been the biggest turnoff for people is that the banking concept happens to use life insurance. Right, yeah, well, it's just because there's such there's such a misunderstanding of the power of life insurance because most most agents really don't set up life insurance the right way. Well, they set it up to benefit them and, yeah. and benefit the companies <laughs> the most, and that, that's how when I got into the industry, that's how I was taught by the company I was working with to sell it. Yeah. I mean, I was taught to illustrate on all of my illustrations a 12% yearly gain. <laughs> Which is just ridiculous. But, you know, if you look at it, if you look at 30 years in the market, it has done like 11.7%. So, you know, with, with, with that as your basis, 12% might make sense. And I think but nobody ever gets that. I think it was Markowitz. He won the uh, he won the Nobel Prize for his modern portfolio theory. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> and you know, it went great for a couple of years, but you know, Harvard uses the theory and a couple other huge endowment funds uses the theory and you know, they lost uh, 30 to 40% of their of their endowment fund in in 2008. So, you know, again, it's the, the market, we talked about it last week when Michael Bonney was on the show, but you know, the market's always been cyclical and it's always been driven by that concept of self-interest. You know, the, yeah. the financial services industry, it's a for-profit industry and they're going to do what it takes to, to make, make the most money. amount of money, yeah. right? And so the whole idea of insurance, you know, I think that what really uh, gave me an insight into the type of insurance that exists was uh, Barry Dyke's book, The Pirates of Manhattan, right? And uh, in that book, it talked about that, you know, the biggest liquid asset that, that banks hold singularly is, uh, is life insurance. And it's not the, you know, the common life insurance that mom and pop bought us when we were little. It's, it's life insurance that has been modified so that there are tons of benefits. It's not a, it's not a death insurance. It's an yeah. actual life insurance because there's tons of living benefits. Yeah, they, take, they, they totally spin it upside down and on, and, and on, on its head magnifying all of those living benefits there I've been, I've been working with an engineer lately and he's just tearing the whole concept to pieces and yeah. it's, it's brilliant working with him because you, you can see how he, he's trying to make it as efficient as possible and as he's doing that it's help it, it's uh, kind of reconfirming to me yeah. how powerful this type of a design on a policy can be yeah. but this is that's not how it's normally sold it's normally yeah. sold 
as a death benefit yep. doesn't and it doesn't provide that that value. Yeah, and I think and I some of my some of my best clients have been the accountants uh, and have been those very an- analytical people that have been able to look at the intricacies of of insurance mm-hmm. and and kind of enlighten me because I'm I'm an analytic. I'm not like hardcore spreadsheets and algorithm type of analytic. Oh come on, I, I've seen you pound out some numbers. <laughs> I, I love spread. I love my spreadsheets, but you know, at the same time, I'm limited. I'm limited. I, you know, the, my accountants have have torn the policy apart as well. And when they get it, it's a it's amazing. It's incredible. Yeah, it's so powerful. Yeah, and because they do. They 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 get it inside and out. Um, and and they they're totally sold because the numbers the the mechanics of it it sells itself. And I think that there's a there's a principle that I've always subscribed to, uh, which is the economic value of certainty, right? And when you have guarantees inside of a certain plan, when it's not ambiguous, when it's not volatile, when it's not based on what the market does, it adds a totally different dynamic to how you save and how you use money. So I know that one of the things that I've really learned, and I know you teach a lot of your clients this, is uh, is the concept of saving versus investing. Yes. Right, and I think that you know over the last several years, there's been a disconnect between what savings is and what investing is because they become synonymous, right? Yeah, yeah, synonymous. They, the the industry has tried really hard to confuse the two. I mean, it's it's become a game, almost like gambling. It's 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 like you have to. The name of the game is trying to get the highest rate of return, and in, and in doing that, you take on unneeded and unnecessary risk on us. But for the companies, they know that they're going to come out ahead. They yeah. know that their risk, by us taking on more, their risk drops. Yep. And so it's very much in their interest to try to confuse those, to try to say to us, hey, you should save 10% of your income and you should do it on a consistent basis. But now let's look at where you can put it. Put it here with me and I'll make you rich. You know, and <laughs> yeah. it never works. But he'll <laughs> make him rich. Yeah. No, exactly. the, the thing is, it's like, you know, the, the biggest players in the market are, are all fee-based. Right. And fee base means it doesn't matter what the what the fund does, whether it goes up or whether it goes down. They make their money based on how much money is under management and also transactions like stockbrokers. Stockbrokers don't make money on whether the stock goes up or stock goes down. They make money on the transactions that they do. Right. So it's interesting is, again, when I got in the industry, I was taught this phrase, Ryan, if you you want to make a lot of money in this industry, the way to do it is money under management. And they drilled that into my head. Because we do, we get paid on fees. Yeah. And so if you think about it, <clears throat> excuse me, the the way to increase my own personal wealth mm-hmm. isn't through doing better for my clients and getting them a higher rate of return, or rather, I have le- least or less control over that, and I have more control over the possibility of advertising and drawing, attracting more people to me. Yeah. And so that naturally incentivizes me to skew numbers, to you know, yeah. do marketing tricks, yeah. to try to attract more people to my portfolio. Yeah. And I mean, Pat, you and I could go in and show show people how how the indexes are calculated, how. Um, how mutual funds can advertise and their averages, which are completely false. I mean, well, they're true. That is the average, but it's not real. It's not what people are really making getting. inside the fund. Exactly. Yep. I mean, it's just it, it, it's a huge it's a huge disconnect, and people yep. don't get that because we have been bombarded by billions of dollars of advertising yep. trying to teach us that savings is the same as investing. Yeah. And, and it doesn't work. And, it, and I think that a, a testament to the money that that, mar- that that industry makes is is just like you said. It's like every every other ad on a PGA tournament uh, is you know it, it's 
it's it's Merrill Lynch. Well, I guess not Merrill Lynch. Bank of America, <laughs> right? Yeah, it's someone, it's Morgan yeah. Stanley, right? It's TD Rowe Price. I mean, it's all all different sites of marketing associated associated with that. So what we've you know what we've developed and came across is I, I think it, it what it does is it puts it puts the power of of an individual savings uh, in their hands. You know, it lends them stewardship and it and it gives oh. and empowers them to be stewards over their money as opposed to working for it, which they were a steward over, getting it. And then giving it to someone that didn't work for it. Now, I get really passionate about this because I feel like that that principle that you just mentioned, stewardship, ownership of money, mm-hmm. ownership of property is really yep. what we're talking about here. Yep. When you give it to someone else and you and they tell you that they're going to make you rich, all of a sudden you disassociate yourself from that ownership yep. and you begin to fall fall into the mindset of a, of a victim or you know someone else is going to take care of me. Yep. And that is not how this nation was built. This nation was built by, I can do it. I'm going to go out and be creative, create business, create uh, products. That is how this well, this nation became well, think, rich. I mean, yeah, and and it's and it's amazing that the evolution that we've had as a, as a society. Because you're right, America was founded by, by entrepreneurs, yes, right. And then you know we've shifted into this employee mindset, and the employee mindset is is we're not the one that really creates the job. The job is created for us, for us, and yeah. we're basically I wouldn't say slaves, but we're you know we have this incentive of fear that hey, all I need to really work is from from eight to eight to four, right, or nine to five. And I just, I have this certain amount of responsibilities. And as long as I meet those responsibilities, I'm good, right? And you really have no incentive to do anything besides that. And as you get familiar with your job, you know, you, uh, you find the shortcuts, you find the smoke breaks, you find the this and the that. So you can get just as much work done not to get fired. And people are living in that, living in that mindset. And it's very destructive because they have not become stewards over their over their life. And it's not to say that being an employee is bad. Being an employee is, is good, but most individuals are just doing what it takes to get by. Yeah, and but see, they take that same mentality and it's driving into their, their personal finances. Exactly. It's driving, into, it's driving in our, into our entire nation. And the productivity of our nation over the last 30 years has declined dramatically. Yeah. And right now we're, we're looking at, I mean, the next 20 years, we're personally, I feel like we're really going to hurt because India is coming up. China. Strong China. Japan. Uh, Japan's yeah. decent. They've been around. They've had their India. own issues. But yeah, India, I mean, those those countries, they have they have people that are that want to work. They're hungry. And the government's right behind them saying, hey, let's produce. Yep, yep. And, and we're over here on our, on our fat couches thinking, oh, someone else is going to take care of us. Well, yeah. the reality is, is... <laughs> no, one, no one is going to take care of you. And like you said, is that that mentality carries over to what people do with their money. Yes. Right? They give it to somebody else because they're not necessarily stewards over their employment and stewards over their... The, and then they take the money and they basically do the exact same thing with it. And no, no wonder people are losing hand over fist money by putting it in the market. And another thing is, and this is ironically, this is one of the good things that John Maynard Keynes taught. John Maynard Keynes, for those of you who don't know, he he was kind of the grandfather of government intervention and supposedly, you know, the, the savior of the Great Depression because he supposedly. helped the government, supposedly. Then he goes to, you know, England right after it and bankrupts two companies. But uh, <laughs> but anyway, you know, he uh, John Maynard Keynes taught, a lot of, taught, uh, taught us in his books uh, about the hurt effect. Right, that what the majority of doing most likely the lemmings are going to follow. And right now, what is the herd? The herd is tradition. The tradition is max out your 401k, put the difference in your Roth IRA, 
pay off all of your debt, pay off your house. And while I, agree, while I agree with some of those things, most people are not doing it because they understand the mechanics behind it. People are doing it because that is what everybody else is doing. Right. It's some it's some like prize that you pay off your house. It's some prize that you become debt free. And I love you know I love Dave Ramsey, but you know Dave Ramsey has these people come on and they just come on to to get some um, thrill reinforcement from Dave that hey you it's not necessarily you know them that did it. It was basically they accomplished some goal that was really Dave's. And they call in, like, I'm debt-free. I paid off my house. I paid off my car. And Dave's like, sweet, you're awesome. They just get on there for kind of the self, self-satisfaction. I'm not saying that there's anything wrong with that, right? But what I'm saying is people are not living for themselves. They're living for other people. Well, and, then, you know, you look, at, you look at that same mindset, the, the herd theory that you, you were mentioning. Our generation, I mean— we're right here in the, in the 30s. Our generation, we're following the baby boomers, our parents. Yeah. The baby boomers, they are the, the uh, generation of the 401k. In the last 30 years, savings has declined dramatically. Oh, yeah. It went from a good you know, 10% approximately down to nothing yep. in the last 30 years. What's happened? What's the mindset? Our generation, we recognize that there's a huge problem with those types of ideas, yet we're not doing anything different. Yep. We're still following along because... That's what everyone does. And, and it's amazing. I mean, we, we believe that we have the solutions, right? And I think everybody has the capacity to adopt and practice these same strategies that are the solutions. And that's what we teach. Is we, we find the common flaws that's, that have occurred in our society when it comes to financial management, and they're like three or four. And once you debunk and once you realize those flaws, it's so easy so to change. So simple. Right? And that's, you know, kind of the, the philosophical approach today is, you know, is just the, the whole idea of habit, right? When we do something for so long, I mean, think about it. I talked about this in a couple of radio shows past. It's like try, try to go, you know, wake up tomorrow morning and brush your teeth with your left hand. Or if you <laughs> brush your teeth with your left hand now, try to brush it with your right hand, yeah. right? Try to shower backwards. Right? Try to dress backwards. I mean, we, we get accustomed to doing things for so long that it becomes very routine. We are creatures of habit. You got it. And I'm not saying that that's a bad thing, yeah. but we develop really bad habits. Yep. Right? And, and that's I, the bad part. And that's the, that's the bad part. But to change those, and I think this is where you're going, to change those, we first have to identify them, analyze them, and then have the willpower to change them. Bingo. In Stephen Covey's books, he talks about how, how long it takes to change a bad habit. It's approximately 21 days. So yeah. you've got to have the willpower to stay there, to hang in there for 21 days to break that habit. Yep. And then you've got to take another 20 days to really form the positive habit you yep. want. Yep. But what's interesting is if you don't have something to replace a bad habit with, it's impossible to get rid of. Yeah. So you do have to identify, yes, there's a problem, but then you also have to identify, okay, what will I replace it with? Yep. Otherwise, that bad habit will remain. You can't just you can't leave a void. The void will always fill. And as you said, I think step number one is really seeing the premise of the habit, how yes. the how the habit was formed. And in this case, you know the the habit of what people do with money. Where where did where was the premise? Where did where was the ideology? Who came up with the idea? Right. Wall and Street. Wall Street. You know, <laughs> that, and that's that that becomes the culprit. That's the one. Wall Street. I mean, the four hundred and one k is part of the tax code. That's the government. That's the IRS. But the original All, idea came from came from Wall Street. They're, yeah, and it was kind of the collusion of the two, Wall yeah. Street and, and the government, which is never a good idea. Well, but, but, but think about what happened there. I mean, Wall Street came and they said, <clears throat> we make our money based on fees. We want to attract more money to us. Well, one of the best ways you can do that is with the government's help, right? Yeah. And that's what they did. And they Recent, created the Recently, we've and, seen the same thing. Yeah. <laughs> and they pile all that money in. And now you have the government there saying, wow, we've got all this money IRAs, 401ks, how can we tax that? Yeah. 
That's just, it's just ridiculous. Yeah, it's and, and we don't want to get it. That thing, but yeah, <laughs> no, but that's that's the premise. That's the premise of of financial management today, right? And so check your premises, right? When there's something that's going wrong, it means that your premises are faulty. Yes. Right. And then you get to what the solution is, and you have to check the premise of the solution as well, right? And our solution has a premise. Our solution has a start date. Our solution has an ideology. Right? So it's not like we're hiding that, but you have to look at the differences between what we do and what is taught commonly and what's created this huge habit in the marketplace. Right, And it's, as we were talking about, it's, it's stewardship, it's control, and this is your money. This is stuff that you spend 40, 50 hours a week earning just to give it to somebody that spent zero time doing that. I can't imagine anything more painful, and I know there's, a, there's probably a lot of listeners right now that have felt or, and experienced this, but to spend 30 years of your life building up assets only to have them all eroded right when you need them, right, for retirement. <laughs> yeah. I mean, that, that for me and, and, and the people, <laughs> my clients, there's nothing worse than that. It's like your whole life just evaporated. And so to, to build your finances on a faulty premise, like mm-hmm. you're saying, Pat, is just, you, you, we, we can't afford it. Nope. And for, for younger listeners that are trying to figure out, well, you know, should I, should I go this way or that? Check the premise. Yep. Check, check the, those simple principles of ownership. Does this product allow me to maintain ownership? Am I going to be controlling this? Yep. And don't become, don't become complacent. I was speaking with a lady who, um, she's very wealthy, but her issue was she likes the idea of hiring professionals to take care of her money so she doesn't have to. Well, unfortunately, she's lost about a half million dollars because of that. Again, they get paid on fees, guys. They don't really care if your money goes up or down. Yeah. They simply just want to attract more money. And what's, what's sad is that even these financial professionals, I don't think they're all, they're all trying to deceive people and take advantage of no. ruining people. I don't think they're trying to no. do that. But how they've been taught and how they've been schooled is from the, where the premise was created. Right, and that premise is faulty. You got some, it. some begin to recognize it, and I think, you know, to go back to where we started, that's why so many people are coming around and seeing this, um, this philosophy as being so strong. Yep. Um, but still, yeah, the premise. I mean, the people that, that I worked with at that company, I, I believe they had the best of intentions for everyone. Yep. But again, they also were taught a faulty premise. That yep. they, and they were taught that it was true. Yeah. But, <laughs> you know. So this is kind of, this is kind of our, our call is, you know, we, we're all about education, right? We offer consultations that are absolutely free. Um, and a part of these podcasts, it's, it's to educate people and to keep people on track. A lot of these podcasts are for our current clients. Right, just so that they're always engaged and they understand that what they're what they're doing. Because fact of the matter is, there's very few people that are doing what we teach. Right now, those people are finding enormous amounts of success. Right, but again, it, it takes time to develop the habit. I mean, Malcolm Gladwell uh, talked a lot about how things become or how an individual becomes a per, uh, perfect or how they become a professional, and it's not overnight. But yet today, we're taught that you know immediate gratification here, there, here, there, you know, things happen over overnight and and they don't. Developing a habit is a long-term process. And Nelson, or uh, I'm sorry, Malcolm Gladwell's, he says that 10,000 hours is required in a particular field to become an expert, right? 10,000 hours. And that's probably, you know, 10 years or so, right? And there's so many different cases, whether it's, you know, musicians like Mozart, um, there's you know, other cases like you know, Bill Gates, other cases like authors, and other cases is you know, singers and songwriters. I mean, it, it takes a long time to develop the talent, right? It's the same thing with this. As you're developing a habit, okay, it's not going to happen overnight. It's not happening, and especially when the majority of people are against you and are doing the opposite, <laughs> it's probably going to take a little bit longer. Yeah, 
Yeah, and, and I think what you're alluding to is is that it takes some time to really get comfortable with with the philosophy because we are kind of helping people go back to those solid roots, which aren't really taught too much nowadays. Yep. Um, but to w- once you get in and uh, begin utilizing these these philosophies, uh, these principles, and utilizing a life insurance policy as your tool to yep. accomplish those, it does take some time to really let it all sink in. But one key note, um, I've been studying recently a lot of uh, <clears throat> millionaires and very successful people, and one thing they all have in common, which really really stood out to me was that every one of them proclaimed the principle of delayed gratification over immediate gratification. I mean, like like you're saying, Pat, 10,000 hours, that's a long time. That's a lot of time invested in a certain thing. Um, Our generation is so bombarded with immediate gratification. The baby boomers helps you know morph that from from their their parents that were uh, f- from the depression and were very into delayed gratification never had gratification <laughs> yeah, never had any, you're right yeah they never had any so the baby boomers got it all and they've passed that on to us but it doesn't work yeah. and see now now as we're talking about ownership and control the power and the, the way that wealth has always been created in this nation and in all time is through us using our creativity and producing to do that we must maintain ownership and control of our property the, uh, the infinite banking concept facilitates that. It um, allows us uh, to grow that principle, to grow that, uh, that power mm-hmm. and really capitalize. But then still, <clears throat> maybe it takes you some time to develop that talent so you can build a business yep. and build that wealth. Yep. I've got statistics that show that 65% of the millionaires in this country made their millions on building their own business. 10% off of investments, so you got a one in 10 chance of going that route. Um, 7% from, uh, from a job, so I mean, there is a, there's a chance. Yeah. <laughs> but 65% off of building a business. Guys, if you want to really create awesome wealth, take your creativity, make sure you maintain ownership over what you produce and what you create, and do it. Yep. That's, I mean, that, that's really... That's really what this is all about. Awesome, awesome. Well, let's uh, let's wrap up. Uh, we appreciate everybody who's downloaded and listened this week. Uh, Ryan, thank you. I really appreciate your your insight and your knowledge and your intellect and what you've added to the show today. Uh, pardon my voice again, but uh, yeah, you're it was fine. Fun, it was fun to be here. You're great. You sound you sound older, so <laughs> that's always yeah. a good thing, right? Um, for those of you who'd, who'd like to to meet with us and uh, and do a free consultation, thirty minutes, we explain exactly how our concept works exactly how it benefits you uh, please call us at 800-870-8670 or email us at info at paradigmlife.net p-a-r-a-d-i-g-m-l-i-f-e dot net uh, remember we have a, a, a webinar this thursday night it's at 7 30 mountain standard time uh, email us or call us to be registered for that our email address is info at paradigmlife.net And uh, phone number is 800-870-8670. Talk to you next week.